Advancing innovative research, academic excellence, and family-centered care to transform outcomes for children around the world. Children's Mercy Kansas City presents the audio interview series, Transformational Pediatrics, with host Dr. Michael Smith. Welcome to Transformational Pediatrics. I'm Dr. Michael Smith, and our topic is polycystic ovary syndrome. My guest is Dr. Tanya Burkett. Dr. Burkett is a pediatric endocrinologist specializing in polycystic ovary syndrome, menstrual disturbances, and disorders of puberty. Dr. Burkett, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you for having me. So let's, defining this condition can be a little tricky. So let's start right there. How do you define PCOS? Yes, indeed, it is a little tricky. Um, Polycystic ovary syndrome is really a misnomer because it doesn't really have anything to do with cysts in the ovary. It is more a genetic predisposition that increases the sensitivity of the hypothalamic pituitary axis um, and the ovaries to circulating insulin levels. So you can think of it in terms of if you have a strong genetic predisposition, you don't need very high insulin levels or insulin resistance to have um, ovarian sensitivity and ovarian dysfunction. And conversely, if you um, have a low genetic predisposition and you have lots of insulin resistance, you can potentially um, you know, have symptoms of ovarian dysfunction. So basically, it's a relationship of ovarian dysfunction uh, to insulin resistance that is genetically uh, determined. And basically... Um, what happens is um, instead of um, having an, a normal androgen production in response to circulating insulin levels, the ovary will overproduce androgens, and that leads to a hormonal imbalance, disrupting feedback loops, and therefore ovulation is disrupted. And when ovulation is disrupted, you have um, not one follicle that you know goes through ov- ovulation. You have um, follicular arrest and small little follicles that develop um, and that then are seen in the uh, in the ovary. So it really is like um, the ovary turns polyfollicular as opposed to polycystic, and that is right. really okay. um, because of anovulation, not because it has like some abnormal cysts in there. It's really a consequence of the anovulation, which is triggered by the hormonal imbalance, which is triggered by a sensitivity to insulin levels. And, so, and how common it is this? In the, well, it, well, no, and I, I think that that uh, you were very clear. And 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 so how how common is this in, in the pediatric uh, population? So and, because and what are the risks a, for it? Right, because it is a genetic predisposition. It really is as common in pediatrics as it would be in adult women, because if you're um, predisposed, you're going to develop it. It's just that until um, recently, we haven't really been so aware of it in younger patients, and therefore we really didn't diagnose it. But when you think of it in terms of predisposition, so um, puberty is actually the first time that um, the body becomes uh, naturally insulin resistant. So it's a natural state of insulin resistance. And so that's also a time when the hypothalamic pituitary ovarian axis turns on. So that's the first time that this uh, the system is put to the test. So during this time, a, a genetically predisposed girl 
um, will react with exaggerated androgens when there's a milieu of insulin resistance and hyperinsulinemia. So they will have exaggerated androgens. They will have um, the typical symptoms of PCOS, which is, um, you know, anovulation with irregular menses, um, signs of acne and hirsutism. The problem is that uh, it's really hard to differentiate, you know, those symptoms from um, just regular adolescence where the um, hypothalamic pituitary axis is just waking up and there is some irregularity. They do tend to have um, hormonal imbalance to some degree and have some acne. Um, and so, it's, it's, you know, with the overlap of symptoms, it's very difficult uh, to differentiate between the two. But it mm-hmm. doesn't mean that it um, is not present at that time. So right. it's just as well, common in adolescents as it would be in adult women. It's just the overlap of symptoms makes it harder to diagnose. Well, are we seeing, you know, because of the rise in type 2 di- uh, diabetes in younger and younger kids, uh, are, are we right. seeing so, a rise? You know, so we in... talked just in, in the beginning, we talked a little bit about phenotype with a low and high genetic predisposition. So... Um, when maybe 20 years ago, when we had a different um, nutritional environment, um, only those girls with very strong genetic predisposition to circulating insulin levels would have the symptoms of hyperandrogenism in irregular periods because the circulating insulin levels weren't that high. Now, a a child that's not so genetically predisposed when the environment or the lifestyle is conducive to exceedingly high insulin levels, you know, they will also have some of those symptoms because, yes, they need they need a higher stimulus, but then they will have the same symptoms. And there are some women who do not have PCOS, no matter how overweight or how in, how much insulin resistance they have. And that's why... How do you... How do you Go ahead. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah, I was just... How do you... So, well, no, so how do you... Um, it, it is it is very complex, obviously. So how do you actually diagnose PCOS? Um, you know, if we're not really seeing, I mean, right. can so, we so see it, these it, follicles it, on? Go ahead. So the diagnosis, um, well, in, in, in adults, it's, it's clear, and, and it gets a little bit um, more, you know, difficult in adolescence. But in general, you have to have some clinical form of hyperandrogenism, um, clinical or biochemical. So you either have to have hirsutism, or act, strong acne, um, or high testosterone levels. So some form, something showing that the ovaries are overproducing androgens. And then you have to have the menstrual dysfunction that goes along with it, um, either irregular menses or amenorrhea. And these symptoms, um, the combination of these symptoms, of course, um, are diagnosis of exclusion because it is a syndrome. So you have to exclude other conditions such as CAH, uh, uh, hypercortisolism, um, thyroid dysfunction, all other sim- all other conditions that might have similar symptoms, hyperplasmia. So those first sure. need to be excluded, and then if you're left with hyperandrogenism, clinical or biochemical, and irregular menses or other menstrual dysfunction, you can call that PCOS. The the reason why insulin resistance, even though it's a big part of the equation, is not part of the definition is because you could, in theory, be insulin resistant, very insulin resistant, and have really high insulin levels, but not never develop PCOS. 
it's really the sensitivity gotcha. to the insulin that makes you have PCOS. And that's why, even though the, it's, um, it's very closely linked, it's not part of the definition. Gotcha. And, in, and in how, do you, how do you treat P, how do you treat uh, PCOS in adolescent girls? So um, that also is controversial, <laughs> but um, so it, dep- it depends. Um, so you can do symptomatic treatment, which is um, the Endocrine Society recommends um, in sexually active girls just treat symptomatically with oral contraceptive pills because that will automatically lower your androgens, increase your um, sex hormone, hormone binding globulin relieve some of those androgenic symptoms and make you um, menstruate more regularly so you, um, you know, have a healthier um, uterine environment. Because, as you know, if you have uh, chronic anovulation, you have um, chronic unopposed estrogens and therefore you put you at risk for endometrial cancer later on in life. So we, we kind of want to reduce that. And OCPs are, are, are one treatment option. However, um, in the overweight child in, or in the um, adolescent that has hypertension, OCPs may not be the, the ideal treatment. And lots of studies have shown that if you reduce that stimulus of insulin on the ovary, you can reduce the androgen production. And in those girls that also have, um, you know, the tendency maybe to increase their weight, this and issues with blood pressure, this might be a better option. And then newer studies are currently uh, being performed looking at um, adding anti-androgens to that regimen because the whole, um, there's a whole vicious cycle between insulin resistance and androgen production because once those androgens are elevated in the system, they increase insulin resistance and lead to hyperinsulinemia, which then affects the ovary, leading to more androgens, to more insulin resistance, and unless you break that vicious cycle, you really won't get to the root of the problem. So even though OCPs are currently recommended as symptomatic treatment, there's a lot of research going on in terms of um, maybe treating with um, metformin and insulin sensitizer and anti-androgens. Right. Wow. Well, Dr. Burkett, uh, it definitely is um, very complex, and I thank you for all the work that you are doing And I thank you for coming on this show. You are listening to Transformational Pediatrics with Children's Mercy Kansas City. For more information, you can go to childrensmercy.org. That's childrensmercy.org. I am Dr. Michael Smith. Have a great day.